Uh, I was born in a small town called Masjid Suleiman in southern Iran. I born in Syria. I was born in Hamburg, Germany. I was born in Kong. I was born in Tanzania in a refugee camp. I was born in Singapore. Guatemala City. I'm from Ireland. I was born in Thailand refugee. I was born in Mumbai. Mm-hmm. I was born in Vientiane. I was born in England. I was born in Costa Rica. Welcome to Many Roads to Hear, bringing the voices of immigrants, refugees, and asylum seekers to a national conversation about migration and identity. I'm your host, Caitlin Dwyer. Today, we'll hear from a young woman who overcame the pressures and restrictions of a conservative society. She became Afghanistan's second female Air Force pilot. Before her country and her life were turned upside down, Safia Ferozi was a trailblazing commander, leading an Air Force squadron of 200. Now, Safia is one of 250 Afghan pilots grounded in the U.S. and no longer able to fly. Elena Yusin brings us her story. Safia grew up in Wardak province in the central region of Afghanistan. She was the second eldest of nine siblings. As a young girl under the Taliban regime in the mid-90s, Safia was not allowed to go to school. Instead, the girls stayed home to cook, clean, and make carpets that the family sold. I have five sisters and three brothers. We have to help over that because he alone, he couldn't support the big family. I miss one year, uh, my school years, because that time, like Taliban. We are so eager to go to school, but just school is for men, not for women. They can go to school, but the rest of them, like me, my other sister, we are not allowed to go to school. Sophia is from an educated family. Her father worked in the Ministry of Agriculture. She describes him as really open-minded, but the societal pressure to keep his daughters home, even after the Taliban collapsed in 2001, was powerful. Sophia's older sister was able to negotiate a deal with their father, allowing them to work at night and go to school during the day. He let us go to school, but he always have to like talk with the family and satisfy them. Oh, it's okay, it's good, and... Always he have to hear some voice, like someone tell him, like, it's not good, it's not good. Education was not the only struggle the family faced under Taliban rule. Food supply to the village was cut off. Sophia's family, like many others, fled their home in search of better living conditions. We have to move from our village to Kabul because we don't have food. They closed the way highway. No, no one's allowed to bring food and, like, like a lot of people die from hunger. My mom, and about one week, she just eat a little, not just like survive. Uh, I know her, like she just, she's not okay because we are big family. She just provide food for us. Our journey coming from our village to Kabul is also is really hard. We have to have like visa, like permission from Taliban to come in Kabul. And we walk, we walk mountain and like night and day, like for one weeks. Sophia's family is part of one of Afghanistan's largest ethnic minorities, the Hazaras. Asian features and a Persian dialect set Hazaras apart from other Afghans, including the dominant ethnic Pashtun. They are also primarily Shia Muslims, while most Afghans follow the Sunni branch of Islam. Hazaras were sold as slaves and continue to be systematically persecuted, often feeling like outsiders in their own country. Before Sophia was born, her grandfather was killed by the Taliban, just for being Hazara. 
So while the shortage of food and lack of work were a struggle, simply being Hazara presented even bigger dangers. If they saw us, they'd recognize us, you're Hazara. Like they are a little different. That time's also really dangerous for us, but we don't have any chance. Like, uh, like it's really hard for us to go to another country because my dad is alone and he don't have that, that much money to like support us. It was not better, but still, still we can't find food. Yeah, if the Taliban see us, if the Taliban, like several times, and in front of us, they capture my ankle and like they hit him a lot. And like several times they coming to our door, knock our door, and one day like they hold my hand and they says, where is our dad? And even I was child, and I I thought if I I told them and where is my dad, maybe they put my dad also in the jail. Soon they found a way to get out. After traveling several hours by car across the border to Pakistan, Sophia's family stayed with her uncle and his family in their house. Pakistan offered more opportunities to earn money, but the language barrier was hard, and they missed home. After less than a year, they returned to Afghanistan. When Sophia was around 11, she begged to go to English classes. She believed they would be her ticket to a better life. But the classes, separate from her regular schooling, cost money. And very few girls were enrolled. I thought, like, uh, oh, my dad was working really hard, and I will find a really good job, a unique job for myself. I tried to, like, learn English. I tried to learn um, mathematics, science, anything to, like, improve my ability. I'm so excited to go to English course. But my dad said, no, it's not for daughter, it's just for son. And that, that night I crying a lot, crying, crying, and told my mom, like, mom, can you talk with my dad? And I want to study English. I want to go to English course. My mom talked with my dad, but my dad said, no. Though Sophia missed out on English classes, she enjoyed learning history and science in school and wanted to become a doctor. That was before a TV commercial featuring women in the military and as pilots caught her attention in a big way. I have dream and like one day I become pilot. This is more than my dream. It's like I, even I couldn't think about that because it's really hard for Afghan women. And we never seen like someone's being a pilot in Afghanistan. And like why my dad said, no, no, you, you are not allowed to go. My dad is, he, he's a knowledgeable person. But at first it's, it's, it's really hard for him also leaders to going to army. It's like everyone says, oh, that Army is not good place for women. It's really bad place. And me and my sister, like, let's go and see. Like, everyone say, oh, like, army is bad. Army is not good. Let's go. Let's start. And, like, we, we saw the other country. They have lots of women being a pilot, army, everything. But, boy, Afghanistan, everything is wrong for women. Let's start. Safia and her older sister pleaded with their parents. The military academy would be good for their future, ensure better jobs, and improve life for the whole family, they reasoned. After some discussion, their father eventually gave in. But he worried for their safety and cautioned them to be very careful. 
You know, after uh, I start my pilot training, uh, my dream, my idea is change. And um, I say, like, now I'm as a pilot, and in the future I will be a leader. And because of that, I study law. And after that, my master's degree in international relations. And it's like, my goal, I will improve. I will be a general one day. But I have to know law. I, I have to know. I have to have these things. After me and my sister, he let my other sister going to college, army, anywhere they want. And they, my dad let them. Now, like one of my brother, he is still in uh, high school, but all of us uh, have our bachelor degree. I opened the door for my siblings. Uh, I opened the door for other ladies, other ladies, family, friends, and even like uh, for Afghan women. The family worked hard, but struggled, sometimes even going without food. This fueled Safiya's ambition. And as her father watched his daughters become successful, independent, working women, he had a change of heart. After that, my father says, oh, like, I am thinking, like, son is better than daughter, but now I'm thinking they are the same. Now his mind is changed, and, like, he says, oh, I love my daughter. They are better than my son. Of the 13 women in her Air Force Academy class to apply for pilot training, Safia was the first to pass the required testing and be accepted. Only one other woman from her class made it through, passing shortly after she had. Safia was thrilled. Despite all warnings that it was not safe for a Hazara woman to go down this path, she had no plan B and had come too far to consider turning back. Yeah, when I passed, uh, I joined the English course about one and a half years. And after that, we go to Shindan province for pilot training. It was not easy. It's, it's really hard. At first, like, um, I remember that this, our commander sent us to Shindan province. But he here, like, oh, it's, it's not good place for women because it's also it's discrimination between Hazara and Pashto and Sunni. And like again, I talk with my commander and like I am so eager to, I'm so happy to go being a pilot. I will serve my uh, country. It's like it's what, what is different between me and uh, another nationalities. It's like we are the same. Again, I study and again like they let me go. We are just three girls, and sometimes it's really hard for us. After an Afghan commander at the Air Force Base was killed by a terrorist group, Safia and the other trainees were sent back to the American base in Kabul out of concern for their safety. But they were not out of harm's way at the American base either. Safia remembers one time when they were sitting quietly in the room having tea. And we felt someone's like knock on our door. And like we say, who is coming to our room? He who knock our door. We thinking like maybe our advisor is like our teacher. And American uh, soldier just like uh, broke our door and uh, yelled to us like, you lie down, lie down, lie down. And we just like, what happened? 
and we just lie down and like take uh, cover as like all of them around us. We go to like the safe area. Like the tourist group is coming and like they shoot on our window, but it's not coming to hit us. They are Talib, but they are like uniform, army, uh, Afghan army uniform. They like wear that and they are coming and shoot our windows. Back at the Afghan base, the women continued to fear Taliban attacks. They feared their own colleagues as well. Instead of eating with the men, they cooked and ate together in their room with a guard stationed just outside the door. We are allowed to sit with them, but still, it's, it's, it's not safe for us. Still, there are some of them, they are not okay with the women. We felt like sometimes if they want, they can kill us. Because of that, like, we always, like, really be careful and just, like, hide in our room. I thought, like, yeah, we are improving. It's the first step. Like, we have to survive. We have to um, work hard. And, like, like maybe we, we can open the door for another. Maybe, like, later getting better, getting better. Because of that, I never, like, felt like, oh, I give up. It's, it's really hard. No. I have hope. Maybe... Like one day, Afghanistan have a better peace and the situation will be changed for us. Despite disdain from her male colleagues and even after being fired on by the Taliban, Sophia never considered quitting. I love my training because my training was with the American advisor. And when I wear my uniform, when I study, and that times, like, I feel proud. Sometimes I talk with myself, Safia, look at you, like, you are being a pilot. And when I, like, uh, going to fly and going to the Air Force, and, like, I saw myself, like, like you, you are great. You pass everything. Everything will be better. And when I fly, I felt, like, so peaceful and so calm. Like, I love that. I love working as a, as a female because I, I saw a lot of men around me. They are like, yeah, we are being a pilot. We are being anything that we want. That when I saw myself this position, I told myself, never give up. Continue, continue. One day you are reaching your goal. One day you are being a general. You will change things. Sophia did change things. She flew a C-208 turboprop plane used as transport for the armed forces. She began rising through the ranks and was soon commanding a squadron of 200. Only a half dozen were Hazara, and just three, including Safia, were women. I was first lieutenant, after that second lieutenant, after that captain, after that major, after that uh, lieutenant colonel. Still, we have barrier. Our life is not going uh, well as we want. Still, we, we feel we are different because we are Hazara. But my job as a pilot, it, it was good. It was fantastic. But overall, I don't have good safety. Safia leaned on family for support. Her older sister and one of her brothers were both flight engineers in the military. Her husband, Captain Mohammed Jawad Najafi, who she met in pilot training, also flew in her unit. Safia was drawn to Muhammad's intelligence and open-mindedness. He did not share the opinion of most Afghan men that it was wrong for a woman to become a pilot. In fact, he was always proud of her, even when she surpassed him in rank. He always says, like, Safia, you can continue. 
and my mom, my dad, and they're always supportive. My brothers, my sister, all of them. For me, I think alone, like my colleagues, my personal, I have really hard time with, uh, with them. And they, at first, yes, yeah, six months, seven months, they'll not accept me, no to me, no. I couldn't do this job. But with my husband, with help of him, and with the help of my commander, my job is never behind. My squadron was example for another squadron. We have eight squadron. But our commander, this is Dr. Safia's squadron. And yeah, it was good. Safia is thankful to American advisors who advocated for her advancement in the Afghan Air Force and tried to help keep her safe. Until 2018, Afghan pilots were always paired with an American pilot. But when this rule was lifted, two Afghan pilots could fly together. Taking this one step further, Safia remembers making history and the exhilaration of her first flight with another female Afghan as her co-pilot. The men expected them to fail. For first time, uh, I was able to fly independent like me and another ladies. When we was flying, that times like in Afghan historian, still no one's uh, allowed to two women fly, and also they are, they don't have disability. I was a squadron commander. One of my colleagues, and uh, she's also Hazara. She's with with me. But uh, I told her, "You're uh, you're ready because this mission is so important." And she said, "Yeah, I'm ready." And I couldn't think about that. Oh, she's also ladies, and it's first time to float together. And we are, like, getting ready. Everything is done. Like, our um, passenger is coming, and door is locked. And I took the tower, and we are, like, uh, permission to go to, like, fly. When I take off, like, all of them, like, like this, like, here is no man. It's two, two women. Like, they, they t- took off, and, and maybe they crashed somewhere. And uh, I told my colleague, I have aircraft and everything is okay. Everything is normal. Don't, no worry. When we arrive at Kunduz, it's like, it's not safe place. It's like, it's really risky place. We have to like really uh, focus on our flight and like we have to really high flight and like turn around and land. All the like, all of them like colonel, general, like, high position they just like unbelievable you flying like better than man and me and my colleagues said you are not different we are the same but this like for them it's like a big deal it's like oh like how how is possible by 2021 Safia had established her leadership as a squadron commander She also had a six-year-old daughter and was pregnant with a second child. But trouble was brewing and a Taliban takeover imminent. Space for women is getting smaller and smaller every day with the threat of war, with the threat of Taliban, especially for women, like space is coming smaller and smaller. On August 15, 2021, we start our duty like as usual, like I'm coming to my office, even like I was pregnant, I couldn't fly, but still I can manage uh, my squadron. And everything is looks like normal, but like something, I, I felt like something happened because it's so quiet and 
Everyone is ready, like from other other uh, squadron, from Shindan, from Mazar, from Kandahar, all of them, all the pilots coming to my squadron because they don't have a squadron. Around noon, I hear like my mom's call me like, you know, Taliban's entered the city. They worried about us and like she felt like we are not safe. After that, like about 10 minutes, I hear like... Uh, uh, gunshot. After that, like about around one o'clock or two o'clock, I hear the uh, president of Afghanistan also fled to another country. You know, like the worst situation is like bad situation. That time's really the worst, and everyone's like try to survive. Everyone like try to how to save their life. I called to my commander. No one's answered me that time. All, like, we just, like, thinking, what should we do? All the pilots says, yeah, we have, like, this major craft. We can fly to another country, like, Tajikistan, Uzbekistan. And I called my American advisor, what should we do? We are waiting until, like, 4 o'clock. And everyone says, like, yeah, now we don't have president. And, like, all of my colleagues decide to go and by our aircraft to Tajikistan or Uzbekistan. But for myself, because I was pregnant, I was not able to go. The president fled the country, and the military collapsed. All of Safia's colleagues had flown themselves out of the country on Afghan aircraft. They packed 20 people onto eight passenger planes, and they left without knowing where they might land. Nearly nine months pregnant with health complications, plus a young daughter and husband at her side, it was simply too dangerous for Safia to leave this way. But the Air Force pilots, like Safia, who had given Afghan forces an edge over the Taliban during a 20-year war, were now in grave danger. They became prime targets of the extremist group's death squads. Their extended families were at risk of retribution, too. Safia was desperate to get her family out. She called her American advisor, who was able to help her make a safer escape plan. Finally, at midnight, Safia boarded a commercial American flight from Kandahar with her husband and daughter. There was no time to say goodbye. Safia was devastated to leave so much of her family behind, especially knowing the danger that her job in the military would put them in. My husband says, it's still we are happy we are together. If the Taliban is coming and like me, you and our daughter, we are together. And like if they are coming, they kill us all. They want to kill one of us and just be told. Then kill all of us. We don't, like, leave it out anyway. Just days after landing in Qatar, Safia gave birth to her second child, another girl. Due to breathing complications, the baby stayed in intensive care for a week. Several weeks later, Safia and Mohammed received news that a family in the U.S. had agreed to sponsor them. And by that time, their newborn was healthy enough to fly. Arriving in Oregon, Safia was at last able to exhale an immense sense of relief. We were, we were so happy, like we are safe. We are someplace, like doesn't matter. At first I say, how we thank American people, like we are coming in here and in this beautiful place and like, so we feel so comfortable and we feel so safe and I love Oregon, I love here, yeah. Their hosts in Salem help the family with the daunting tasks that every refugee family faces when they land in a foreign country. Mountains of paperwork, learning to navigate a new city, a new language, a new culture. 
enrolling kids in school, finding jobs, and a place to live. Sophia's first daughter, who entered second grade this fall, also gained many freedoms in the move. Uh, you know, in Afghanistan, because we, are, we, don't have, we don't have good safety over there, he, she always stayed at home. She couldn't go to school. And uh, we pay for a teacher. She's coming to my house and teach her. Because of that, she, she was not happy in Afghanistan. My daughter, like, I hope for her, like, being a doctor. And I let her, like, anything she wants, anything. Anything she she's eager to be, and I will support her. Anything, anything, both of them, they want. Uh, me and my husband, we, we will support them. Safia and Mohammed are just two of the 250 displaced Air Force pilots from Afghanistan now living as refugees in the U.S. Seven of them are in Salem, Oregon. None of them are able to fly. Without citizenship, options are limited. Their pilot's training was specific to Afghanistan's war, and the U.S. has no program to retrain the pilots for civilian flying. To make ends meet, Mohammed is working as a truck driver, and Safia is a native language community school outreach coordinator, helping other Afghan students and families in the Salem-Kaiser Public School District. They have limited free time between work, raising two young children, and advocating for family members still stuck in Afghanistan. But Mohammed is eager to get back to flying and has started the pilot certification process through a program funded by Salem for Refugees. Safia has decided to wait. I have a full-time job and a little, a little, like I'm disappointed about, like after I, I was a pilot, everything like looks great, but suddenly everything is done, like. I think like I need time. I need time to think about that. And also I have like my own problem, like my family is still there in Afghanistan. They, are, they don't have good life over there. For now, Sophia's focus is on earning money to support her family in the U.S. and in Afghanistan. She does want to get back to being a pilot one day. America is land of opportunity. I, I will use my chance and study again, follow my dream job. While several of Sophia's siblings made it to the U.S., she is afraid for so many they left behind. Thirteen family members on her side, fourteen on her husband's side. Her position in the military, as well as that of her siblings and Mohammed, has made them all targets for the Taliban. The danger has forced them into hiding. Sophia's 21-year-old brother was recently caught and thrown into jail on two occasions. He was eventually released but lives in fear and uncertainty that it could happen again at any time. Safia says she knows of one colleague's brother who was killed in front of the whole family. Still, we have family over there. We still we have and my parents, my siblings, my in-laws, all of them in Afghanistan. If you are not able to support them financially, they don't have food. Yeah, they don't have work. None of them, none of them. All of them, like, we have to support them. Sometimes they're moving to my province, in my village, and like uh, sometimes they're moving some years else. And I'm not allowed to like exactly told like where they like they are in Kabul or they are in Kandahar. They are they are hide. I'm always thinking about them and yeah, 
Yeah, we are physically here. Like sometimes yeah, we, when we go to outside and for picnic, these things. I feel like, oh, like we are living in really beautiful place, but we never enjoy. We never enjoy because all of my family in Afghanistan, when we hear about them and we're re- so sad, like because of me and my siblings and my family, they are, they are really in big danger in Afghanistan. I never imagined like sometimes like they kill my dad, dad or mom or brothers because they are, um, the Taliban is not human. For them it's not like a big deal if they kill anyone. But for myself, if I lost one of family members, it's like my whole life is done. Safia is desperately seeking help to get her family out of Afghanistan to safety. After leaving without even a chance to say goodbye, she dreams of their reunion. I want to see them again. I want to see my parents. I want to see my siblings. They are young. I, I don't want to like the Taliban play with their future. All of them, they're stuck at home. They couldn't go to school. My niece and my my sister, they, they, they were like university and school. We have to thank for each American. But yeah, we are, we are physically in here. We are mentally in Afghanistan. Many Roads to Here is a production of The Immigrant Story. This episode was produced and edited by Elena Yusin with post-production by Greg Palmer. Our executive producer is the life of the party, Sankar Rahman. Thank you to Salem for Refugees for letting us use their space to record this interview, which was conducted in March 2023. This episode was funded through a generous contribution from the Marie Lamfram Charitable Foundation. For more stories, visit the Immigrant Story website. Listen live at prp.fm or stream us wherever you get your podcasts.